by Passion Church, the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. Turn to Colossians chapter 3. We are in a series called Colossians, oddly enough. And that is why we are turning to Colossians. We've been through the first two chapters, and, and we've kind of got bogged down on the third chapter. It's not because it, it's not exciting, or it's just because it's so rich and so powerful that we've had to take our time through it, and we don't want to miss anything. This will be our third message in the, the third chapter of Colossians. We're going to start in verse 18, and I'm going to read you the passage of Scripture we'll be looking at tonight, if time permits. Colossians 3:18. Through 25. This is a expository teaching. This is something I don't do all the time, but something that the Lord led me to do is to take a book of the Bible and go all the way through it line by line. Something we ought to do every so often, if not more often. And verse 18 says, Wives, submit to your husbands, as is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives. And never treat them harshly. Children, always obey your parents, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not aggravate your children, or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything you do. Try to please them all the time, not just when they're watching you. Serve them sincerely because of your reverent fear of the Lord. Work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. And remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward, and that the master you are serving is Christ. But if you do what is wrong, you will be paid back for the wrong that, <coughs> that you have done. For God has no favorites. And I guess we'll go ahead and go back to verse 18 and talk about that little bitty big word in verse 18 called submit. That's the big word that, that most of us pull out of these passages, I would imagine. When you get to Colossians 3.18, wives, submit to your husbands. Tonight is going to be entitled Part 5, Submit. Now, if you remember anything about the series so far, the first chapter of Colossians was the first night, and we saw that Jesus was supreme. And we called the message supreme. He's just, he made everything. It's all for him. We belong to him. Everything down here belongs to him. We're just stewards at the most. He is supreme. And in chapter 2, we saw that he's not only supreme, but he is enough. He's everything that we could ever possibly want. And then when we began chapter 3, we titled the third message, Focus. Because we got to focus on him being supreme. we got to focus on him being enough. And then the fourth message last week we found was called discovery. He's supreme. He's enough. We focus and then we discover who we are. We discover his plan for our life. And then tonight, oddly enough, the message is entitled submit. Because guess what? If he is all those things and you focused and discovered who he is and who you are, 
then what's the next logical thing for you to do? Submit. But that's like a bad word to a lot of people. I don't. The Greek word transmitted submit in this passage is called, now I'm not a Greek scholar, but it's the way I pronounce it is hupotasso. That's how you would pronounce it in the Greek, I guess. It means, it means it's a continuing form of the verb submit. It means to continue to submit. It's a continual attitude of submission. It's not a one-time thing. Well, I listened to you last week, you know. No, it's a continual submission. It's an attitude of continual submission. Now, some of us get an attitude if we're told to submit, right? That's the problem. We don't like to submit, and, and I wonder why. Because we're born with a rebellious nature. We were born with a sin nature. Now, hopefully everybody in here has made Jesus the Lord of your life and has sent his spirit into your heart, crying, Abba, Father. Now you have the Holy Spirit in you. Now your spirit is alive to God. Now you have a choice. Do you want to live by that old sinful nature, that man that you should have buried at baptism, or do you want to walk in this new spirit of life? And, and not listen to your old rebellious self who doesn't want to submit. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. Isn't that what the devil said? I'm going to exalt my throne above God's. He's not going to tell me what to do. See, the devil didn't want to submit. Pride welled up in his heart, and that's when sin was introduced. And you know how nasty sin has been in your life and to, and to this world. It has destroyed God's creation. That's the major enemy that we're fighting down here is sin. And so the devil didn't want to submit. We don't want to submit. But we must understand submission is God's plan. There's even submission in the Godhead. And when I mean the Godhead, I mean the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, all three of them are God, all by themselves. They're all one. I don't, I don't understand how to explain the Trinity. The best I can do is say they're all one, but they're three distinct personalities within that one. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they're all God by themselves. But yet they, they, there's submission we see within the Godhead. You mean I'm God and I have to submit? <laughs> Jesus, what did he say in the garden? Nevertheless, not my will be done, but thine. He submitted to the will of the Father. If you look at his life and, his, and, and throughout the Gospels, he said, I only do what I see the Father do. I only say what I say. I, I'm down here to do the Father's will. I know why I came. He is submitting to the Father. And then Jesus says, when I go away, <coughs> excuse me, when I go away, I will send a comforter. So he sends the Holy Spirit. Well, the Holy Spirit could say, well, I'm God. You don't send me. You don't tell me what to do. But that's not the way God acts, is it? And the Holy Spirit comes, and he doesn't teach us about himself. He, he points us to Jesus. The Holy Spirit is here to testify of Jesus and not of himself. He's, he hasn't, God has absolutely no issues with submission. Jesus, this is what will really blow your mind. We've already seen that he is supreme, and he is the one that created the earth. It was created by him and for him. 
He came into the earth that he created, and we didn't recognize him. Wouldn't give him a room at the end. We crucified our Lord of glory. But he came into this earth as supreme, and he submitted to his earthly parents. That is wild. I mean, could you imagine any teenager having a right to have an attitude? You're not going to tell me what to do. I'm the one. You see Uranus over there? I'm the one through that thing in the sky. <laughs> I mean, if any teenager ever had a right to be rebellious. But the, the one time they t when Jesus was t 12, they took him to Jerusalem for the Passover celebration. And they got there, and, and when it was over, they went to go home, and I guess it was a bunch of family members and all, and they probably went in different companies and walked, you know, probably maybe they had a donkey or two or a wagon or something. And they were making their way back, and they was halfway back probably before they realized that Jesus wasn't in the crew. You know, they thought he maybe was lagging behind with one of the family members or something, and they said, where's Jesus? And they realized they had lost God. <laughs> so they hurried back to Jerusalem. And they looked all over, and they finally found him, and he was in the temple. And he was talking and reasoning with the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law, and they were amazed at his understanding for a 12-year-old. But they came busting in there, Jesus, where have you been? You know what you have done to us? Why have you treated us like this? What did he say? Didn't you know that I must be about my father's business? And so he told them what was up, but then what did he do? In Luke 2, 51, it says, he returned to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. He knew more than the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. He's the creator of heaven and earth, but he returned with his parents and was obedient to them. And his mother stored all these things in her heart. Even, it even surprised her, I'm sure. Because she heard all the prophecies about him when he was born, when he was a baby. She saw the star, you know. She was, she was there at the birth. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and so she's storing all these things in her heart. She's probably more surprised than anybody that he does anything I say because I've already been told this is God, you know. That there was an angel named Gabriel came and told me. Uh, but anyway, it says in verse 52, Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature, and in favor with God, and with all people. And I wonder to myself, maybe that isn't the way that we grow in wisdom, and stature, and favor with God and man. I want you to think about that for a minute. Because our rebellious nature, we've tried it on our own. We've tried to willpower our way past people. Forget authority. I'm just st skipping all those steps. I'm just going straight to the top. I'm going to make my own way. And how's that worked out for you? But those people that you see that are humble enough to submit to authority, they grow in wisdom, stature in the eyes of other people, in favor with God and with man. And that's what makes me so mad. <laughs> Because I worked at, at Power and Telephone Supply for 18 years. I've told you this story a million times. My brother got me on, you know. 
and uh, I wasn't qualified to be there. I didn't have any college degree, but you were supposed to have to get the job that he helped me get. But they gave me the job. They were so nice to me and everything for his sake. And then later on, he became a manager, big time. You know, he, he's a manager. He's a boss. thing that ruffled my feathers was he was my boss. <clears throat> and in my estimation, I'm way smarter than he I'm much better leader. I know way more than that boy. I taught him everything he knows. And so I would go into our meetings. You know, they would have, they, that's a $400 million a year company. It's, they have real board meetings. They have boardrooms and stuff. I mean, you, you go in there with your group and you have these meetings and you sit around and talk business stuff, you know. Of course, I was the smartest one in any room I ever went into, if you understand. <laughs> I mean, I knew way more than them guys that bring in four. 400 million a year, those vice president fellas, eh, you know, I don't got a college degree, but hey, I, you know, and, and I had this attitude like I knew more than them, and I'd, you know, that kind of attitude every time they, somebody else would say something, you know, like that's going to work. Let me tell you how it ought to be, and that was my attitude for many, many years, and I wondered why. Couldn't they see how smart I am? Couldn't they tell that I ought to be a manager too? And you know what? I still believe I, I could have been a manager. But I never was because of that attitude, that rebellious attitude that thought I knew everything. The people that were managers, I know I was smarter than some of them. <laughs> some of them, it was obvious. But you know what? They were humble, and they worked within the system, and they were team players, and they were not going to bring in somebody with that kind of prideful attitude that thought they knew everything. Even if they did, it wasn't worth working with them, and I did, I did not grow in wisdom and stature in that company, and I didn't have favor until the last few years that God finally dealt with me and helped me get past myself. And I started being a team player, and then that's when he moved me out of there. So, But I say that for a reason. Yeah, yeah, God had to, God kept me there for 18 years to learn that lesson, so I wouldn't bring that into the pastorate. Are you seeing what I'm telling you? Submission. It's not a dirty word. It's a godly principle. And it's a must for us to have a godly society. Can you imagine if everybody has an attitude like I had in those meetings? Well, it isn't hard to imagine, is it? You see it all around you. You see it on television. Nobody wants to submit to anybody. But Romans chapter 13, verse 1 says, Everyone must submit to governing authorities. Who, who's got to submit? Everyone. For all authority comes from God. And those positions of authority have been placed there by God. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted and they will be punished. It don't matter if you like the popo. It don't matter if you like your governor or your mayor or your president. 
You're not really submitting to them. You're submitting to the authority that they're walking in. Have you ever seen when a president leaves office, now the cameras aren't on him all day long. Now everything that he says is not front page news. Now everybody's not debating everything that they say or everything that they do. He's like old hat. He's old news. And I wondered, how, how must that feel when you've been the center of the world for so long, for four years, and then now all of a sudden nobody even cares what you're doing, where you're at, and what you got to say? Why is that? Because they're no longer the authority. It's the authority that we, we, we submit to, not the person. And that'll help some of you who say, well, I don't like my boss. I ain't submitting. You've just run into a roadblock then. You're never going to get past until you submit to that authority. It says right here, rebelling against the authority God has instituted and they will be punished. You're not going, you're not, you're not going to do it like that. There must be submission in the family. For the family to work properly? Have you seen some of these shows where these kids are running the house? Can you imagine? There must be submission to, in the government, to government authorities, to the police, to the fire department. When somebody is wearing a badge, it's a representative that they have been uh, commissioned to be the authority. There's authority in the church. There's authority in your business, where you work, your bosses, chain of command, in the, in the military, everywhere. It works by authority. And for any of these things, these families, these governments, these uh, churches, these businesses to be successful, there has to be differing roles for people to play with submission to those who are bearing these responsibilities of authority. It's just the only way it's going to work. That's the way it worked in the Godhead. They worked together. They play, had differing roles, and they submitted one to another. Now, many women, when they see this passage that we just read, they see submission to a husband as an outdated concept. Women's lib says that women are just as good at men, as men at everything. They're wrong. Women are actually better than men at about 50% of things. But men are clearly better than women at about 50% of things because clearly men and women are different. Boy, that goes against women's lib. But because you're different doesn't mean you're less than. You're just different. Men aren't superior but within the, the family structure, they bear additional authority. And with that authority and that leadership role that they've been given is the command to serve and to protect because godly leadership, to be a leader in God's eyes is to be a servant of all. Let's look at Ephesians 5. Let 
Apostle Paul wrote this scripture that we're looking at tonight, this passage in Colossians, he wrote it to the church in Colossae. But he wrote basically the same thing to the church in Ephesus, except he expounded on it a little bit more. So we're going to look at the same thing that he wrote to Ephesus and see if we can glean a little more understanding on this submission, these women submitting to their husbands that we didn't get out of Colossians. In verse 21, it says, And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Well, first, right off the bat, it tells us it's just not women submitting to their husbands, but it's husbands also submitting to their wife. They're submitting to one another. So there's mutual submission. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For the husbands, this means to love your wives just as Christ loved the church and he gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean and washed by the cleansing of God's word. So there's clear cut uh, instruction here. Women are supposed to submit to their godly husbands who are in turn are serving their wives and, and trying or willing to give up their lives like Christ gave up his life for the church and they're trying to present their wives holy, cleansed in the blood of Jesus. Men, you have a responsibility not just to be the the breadwinner in the family, the responsibility of, to be the breadwinner, but you have the responsibility to be the soul winner in your family. You have the the spiritual responsibility to present your wife holy, to present your children holy, to train them up. That's your responsibility. And we've many men in the church today think this the women's responsibility. But for the husband, this means to love your wife just as Christ loved the church, gave up his life to make her holy and clean and washed by the cleansing of God's word. It's your responsibility to make sure the word of God is in your house. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. And some men may say, well, I wish my wife didn't have spots and blemishes and wrinkles. Well, if she does, it's your fault. It's your responsibility to make sure she don't have any wrinkles. Maybe some smile wrinkles. Not these wrinkles. You giving her them wrinkles. If you was being the man of God you're supposed to be, she wouldn't have all them wrinkles. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. That means in the spirit. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their very own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. Why is that? Because the two became one flesh. You became one with your wife. You need to see her as, as your other 50%. You can't just take care of your needs and not take care of her needs. That'd like be going to the gym and all you do is work on your, 
your arms, but you never work on your legs. And you see that men are get like that, don't you? I'm a little bit like that. My jeans are a little too baggy, you know. I always skip leg day, you know. But no, you're supposed to love your wife like you love yourself. You need to understand that really, man, we ain't got time to get in a whole marriage seminar. Seminar, I'm talking slow tonight, my brain. But, but listen, I'm telling you, if you make your wife's life fulfilled, your life will be fulfilled. If mama ain't happy, <laughs> ain't nobody happy. And I'm telling you the secret to happiness in your family is you making your wife happy. You, you doing what it takes to make her fulfilled. And in doing that, she will in turn do what it takes to make you fulfilled. No one hates his own body but feeds it and cares for it just as Christ cares for the church. So, I mean, our example is Christ, fellas. we got a high bar to live up to. So we need to be about <laughs> loving our wives. All right, let's uh, read the rest of this. We've read the first half of the first sentence, all right? <laughs> and we got like 12 minutes left. All right. Colossians 3.18 again. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. As is fitting. Should you submit to an abusive husband? If somebody is, is roughing you up physically, should you submit to them? Should you submit to somebody who's roughing you up verbally, emotionally? And giving you ungodly directives? What if they tell you to do something you know is not God's plan? No. You submit as is fitting in the Lord. Now what do you do if, you know, they just want to move and they want to sell the house and, you know, they're trying to make decisions, but, you know, you have no directive from God and, well, you submit. You trust God and you pray for him. And women, the best thing you can do is, is pray for your husband and, and, and let him take the lead. Some women want to wear the pants in the family, and they want to, they want, it, isn't that what it says? Now, I'm just going back to Genesis, where it says that, you know, uh, the, the curse for the woman is that she will want to lead the man. And that's where a lot of women are. They want to wear the pants in the family, and then they want to blame the husband for not taking his role, but you stole it from him. So you support your husband. He's going to make some bonehead decisions. He's human. He's a man. <laughs> but you keep praying for him, and you keep encouraging him, and you keep believing the best and setting the bar high from him, telling him how good he's doing and how you're, you're with him. You watch how he'll rise. You tell him he ain't no good. He, he ain't never going to mount to nothing. That's why our family is this, that. You, you just drove him in the ground, and that's where you're headed after him. Or else then you're going to try to lead and then it ain't, it's going to be backwards and it ain't going to work. There has to be mutual submission. You, you submit one to another. Jesus submitted to his earthly parents, but it was only after submitting to his father's business. You remember? He said, didn't you know I must be about my father's business? I'll go with you now that I've finished my father's business. 
happen. You only submit. See, there's a chain of command. He's the head of the house. He's the head of the wife, but he's not the head of Christ. And so everybody as Christian, our ultimate allegiance is to Christ and to his way. And you got a husband in the middle trying to lead you astray or something. You don't follow him into the ditch. You keep following Christ. Because he's like the general and your husband's like the captain or something, okay? Just put it in practical applications. You follow the captain until you can't follow the captain no more. Ultimately, you got to follow Christ. He's a higher authority. I looked up the definition of submit. It's to yield to governance or authority. Like I said, it's not, it's, it's not submitting to the person. It's submitting to the authority that they walk in. And I'm sorry, when you said I do as a husband and a wife and before God, that man was given the authority to be the head of the household. And so you're submitting to God's authority. <clears throat> Michael Hoodman says, God has established several types of authority in the world. Governments to enforce justice in society and provide protection. Pastors to lead and feed the sheep of God. Husbands to love and nurture their wives. And fathers to admonish their children. And you could say mothers too, fathers and mothers admonish their children. In each case, submission is required. Citizenship to government, flock to shepherd, husband, a wife to husband, and children to the father and the mother. There must be submission or none of these things work properly. 1 Peter 5, 5 says, In the same way, you who are younger must accept the authority of the elders. And all of you, dress yourself in humility as you relate one to another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. That's what I was talking about. God couldn't bless a bad attitude, not Submitting to authority. It takes humility. And the whole process, to me, if I'm going off of experience of my 20-something years of being saved, is just a humility process. It's a breaking the pride off of me, breaking me down, and helping me submit to ruling authorities, which Christ being the head. And I'm learning to submit to the ones placed over me. My authority's in the church, and, and to take my authority to those below me and to, to be like somebody who, lo like Christ loves the church, and to lead and to serve like Christ served. So it's all a humility process. I can't just jump up and say, I'm not listening to so-and-so no more, because that's the authority God put above me. And if the authority that's above you is not acting right, it's God's job to remove them. They will have to stand before God on how they use their authority. But I have to stand before God on how I submitted to the authority placed in my life. And it takes great humility, but God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Let me ask you, am I more important to God than you because I've been called to be the pastor of this church? Absolutely not. In fact, I feel... <laughs> I feel... That I don't even want to say that because some churches make it seem like that, that the pastor is somebody, but that is not the case. I am your servant. And really, I, I just feel like one of you. 
I am one of you. I'm just a human. Is a parent more important to God than a child? The parent has the authority over the child, but does but is those children back there any less important than we are in here? Sometimes we look and say, well, they're just kids. We're not going to pay attention to them until they get old enough to learn. No, God's working with them where they are. He worked with you when you were seven. He loves you every step of the way. You're just as important. It's not a matter of importance. It's a matter of humility with the responsibility. Humility with the responsibility that you've been given or humility to, to uh, submit to the authority. Does that make sense? Every person pulling together, doing what they're supposed to do, working within the chain of command, every ligament, every joint, every muscle, every organ, everything pulling together as a body for for a common cause, for a common good. That's harmony. It's harmony in this world. You know what it is when nobody listens to authority? When everybody does what they want to? It's called anarchy. That's what we're starting to see in America today. I don't listen to you. I don't know. I'm not even, we're not even going to talk about it. I'm right and you're wrong. And that settles it. And I'm willing to kill you because I'm right. And now I'm demonizing you because you're wrong. That's where we're getting to in America. Nobody's listening to anybody. Nobody has enough humility to try to talk things out and communicate. And there's certainly no willingness to uh, submit to authority. Back to the husband and wife thing. Matthew Henry wrote, the woman was made out of Adam's side. She was not made out of his head to rule over him nor out of his feet to be trampled on by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be loved. Thank God did that for a reason. We become one with our wives, just like the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are one. It's not a I'm greater or they're lesser thing. We're one. We just have different roles. Women's live today does, does not liberate women. It confuses them. I'm just speaking the truth. It doesn't jive with the Bible. There are clearly differences between man and woman, the way God made them. And to deny this actually detracts from the uniqueness of both. It would dilute the power each has to complement each other. I know that might not be politically correct. But I ain't never cared much about politically correct. I am concerned about biblically correct. First Corinthians 11.3 says, But there's one thing I want you to know. The head of every man is Christ. The head of the woman is is man, and the head of Christ is God. Structure of authority. All right, so now we've made it to Colossians 3.19. Now we're on the husbands. 
Oh, look, we ran out of time. All right, well. <coughs> it, I'm sorry, it's almost 8 o'clock, and by the time I pray, it'll be 8, so we... <coughs> The men probably need a whole service. I will, I will end. Let me, let, me, let me give you five more minutes, all right? Five more minutes, just to be fair. Husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. No reason to ever treat them harshly. We should see ourselves as gentle warriors. We should see ourselves as the prince that comes riding in to save the princess. Not the villain who's trying to ravage the princess and say, I don't know where we get our information. I know I got a lot of mine from a locker room, not having a dad in the home. We begin to look at women like sexual conquest. We begin to look at them like objects. We don't see them as God's daughters. And, and we think we're doing right. We're raised in a certain way. We think we're doing right, but we're, we're really being the villain. We're really being predators. And many men are predators because the society teaches them that you, you, it's good for to see how many conquests you can have, how many women you can be with. But God's way is so much different. We should protect the women, these are God's daughters. And woe unto us. My biggest regrets in life are, is learning this way too late and doing much damage in the process of thinking I was doing right, thinking this is what it meant to be a man when I had no idea. We should be protectors of the women. We stand up for the weak. Not that women are weak, but they're weaker. Never use our strength to dominate, but to protect. And you know, when Paul said this back in the day, well, it's probably around 60 A.D. or something after, after Christ's death, in this letter to the Colossians, husbands love your wives and never treat them harshly. That was politically incorrect in the time. We, we kind of understand we shouldn't treat somebody harshly today, but back then, the society was built around the man. His uh, testimony is valid in court. The woman's not. Women keep silent. Uh, women don't say, don't you talk back. The women were mistreated. This was written in a time where this was politically incorrect to say. And I want you to know everything that they say is politically correct today. Don't make it right. The society's mores and morals change with whatever whoever's got control at the time. But the Word of God remains the same. And if we want to set ourselves apart with wisdom, then we need to follow the Word of God. All right, then, uh, of course, we said all the other stuff about the men. You know, love your wife as Christ loved the church, willing to give up your life and all those things. We, we've really talked more about the the men than we have the women tonight. Colossians 3.20 says, 
talks about the children. Children, always obey your parents, for this pleases the Lord. So what's, what's a, a child's one duty to God? I mean, God, I don't see any other instructions other than honor your mother and father, but to obey your parents. So they've got one instruction. For greater clarity on that, let's look at Ephesians 6, 1. That's still in that same passage where he, he's talking about the same things in, in Ephesians. Ephesians 6, 1 says, Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord, for it's the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well with you, and you will have a long life on the earth. You know, the Ten Commandments, that's the, the only one that makes you a promise, is to honor your mother and father. Now, the way I see it is, you obey your parents until you're old enough to move out of their house and to start your own family. The Bible says a man leaves his father and mother and cleaves to his wife. He starts his own family. Then you begin your own household. Then you make the rules within your house. And your parents, you're supposed to leave your mother and father because some of the parents don't want to let go. And they're interfering in the marriage and trying to run your family too. Don't let that happen. Man, you take control of your home. You, there comes a point where you don't necessarily have to obey everything your mother and father say. Even, you know, when you get out of their house and you're old enough to start your own family. But you should always be able to honor your mother and father. Just because you might, if you, if you don't obey them, you might say, well, I'm sorry, Mom, but we're going to have to do it this way. But I love you and I thank you. You know, honor them. And that's, you know, that's been a hard thing for me. <laughs> is is uh, Because we, we have these prideful things. That the, we want to look at our past through these negative lenses and blame our parents for so many things. And then when, by the time we get, you know, especially through the teenage years, we build up all this resentment and we stop honoring our parents. And if, we, if we're not careful, we can grow up thinking how terrible our childhood was and, and we don't realize they were doing the best that they knew how to do with what they had to work with. And, you know, some of us had bad, not me, but some, I mean, some people have legitimately terrible childhoods. But that's one of those things where you got to forgive. And, you, and if you can't think of anything good to say, just don't say anything bad. That might be honoring some of our mothers and fathers, Right? You know what I'm talking about. But children have to obey. Children who don't learn to obey at home will often be taught in the penal system. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.